Hello everybody. Welcome to the first episode of my podcast The Village Idiot. My guest today is Richard Burnett. Richard lives in New Jersey and we met while we were traveling through Southeast Asia. Our episode today talks about exercise and yoga and its benefits for our health. Then we talk about our perception of God and what links it might have with extraterrestrial life. Thereafter we talk about interplanetary travel and what the future may look like. So uh, go ahead and enjoy the show. I hope you do. Yeah man, so you, you got you got it down man. I don't know any of the yoga poses dude. I just know I mean I've done yoga. Uh I used to have a yoga teacher and she used to explain it to me. I that's when I realized my body is made of concrete and I really need to <laughs> fucking work out. <laughs> I need to stretch a little bit. But yoga is is very very it's not as easy as it looks. It feels like it's just going to be stretching a day at the spa, but it's not. It can really really it can it can be really tiring. Um oh, yeah. So my stretching used to my lower back is in most flexible so she used to work out most of my lower back I don't know what she's I mean I know the names of some I don't know the names of some poses but I know names of some uh, yoga uh practices like uh the breathing exercises and stuff so yoga mm-hmm. is I remember when I was um I was I I went to this uh holistic doctor in uh, Bangalore which is in south of India uh with some troubles ahead and he used to do this uh he used to check your pulse right so there are these doctors in india who can tell you whatever is wrong in your body based on just your pulse so they'll check your pulse and they'll tell you what's wrong with you it's a former ayurveda right they diagnose you based on that so he checked my pulse and he told he diagnosed me with whatever I had and then uh, he used to uh administer medicine by acupressure but not like through needles or pressure what he used to do is he used to take different types of spices like cloves and and pepper and stuff like that and then wherever the points were on my fingers he used to uh, put put like a clove or a pepper and mm-hmm. he used to take a, like a like a medical tape and he used to just press it in so it was always pressing that point you see the cloves got the head which would keep pressing it or even the pepper would just keep maintaining constant pressure on my on those points and he'd say okay after 2 hours remove it so one day I was there and he's a, he, this guy's this guy's like super famous man like if you want to meet him that day you got to stand in line at 4 in the evening and then you'd probably see him at like 9 in the evening for 10 minutes if you're lucky mm. yeah so uh one when, when i was waiting there there was a girl who came there and she had like a neck injury and she said uh, oh you know what i was doing i was doing yoga and i was doing a headstand i turned and i twisted my neck and the doctor looked at her and he's like that's because you do yoga not yog see in in sanskrit it's yog okay so he's like when you're doing yoga you're doing something that is popular and you're doing an exercise when you're doing yog that's when your mind and your body are one so you will never have a bad posture because your mind and your body are one so they know exactly what they're doing see so hmm. yeah so that's when i when i used to do uh yoga i used to, i was in a very uh, beginner level of yoga so mine was mostly postures and uh, concentrating on getting them right and a lot of stretching and she was she was really concentrating on my neck and my my uh spine because uh 
in indian uh, medical science like that's ayurveda like ancient medical science mm-hmm. the spine is considered uh, the backbone of the universe so to say right and i think if you look at the books in the kundalini also everything is on your spine the chakras i think three chakras are on your spine right so that's really? that's also yeah yeah man three of the chakras are on your spine i think one's on your head and i think the fifth is your groin uh but don't quote me on the groin but i think that's what it is but if you look at a, a map yeah. of the chakras i think that's exactly what it is so your spine is considered the backbone of your universe right and if you speak if there's a there's a indian mystic which i'm very fond of i think i spoke to you about him called sadguru right and uh, he tells you a lot about he's he tells you a lot about yoga basically and um, that's what he says too so when i started yoga my my uh, main emphasis was my spine which is which is rubbish basically because my posture is always wrong because when i'm flying i'm just sitting on a chair man right and it's not much room there to maneuver around um and if i'm not flying i'm tired and i'm sleeping on the bed and watching tv which is even fucking worse um and the other thing she used to work on was my breathing and once you get those in sync i think you're singing man so i never got to sun salutations i mean i did sun salutations when i was working out in the gym but never otherwise it's not easy huh? a sun salutation it's quite it's quite a workout i think if you do five yeah, or six no, pretty good man So yeah, the thing is like everything I've not everything, but the small things I've read online about it, they they recommend 12 um with one being one on each side. So I'm only doing about half what it's recommended amount is, but like I said, I also seem it also seems like they that in everything I've read as far as with the recommendations, they're moving through them pretty rapidly. I mean, I guess maybe they'll do the first couple kind of slowly and then speed up. um but i've been trying to keep it relatively slow um and just controlling the movement as much as possible and really feeling the stretch in certain areas where i feel like i need it the most um but yeah and also uh focusing trying to focus a lot more on my breathing uh, like after we had talked last time um you know i've been trying to really focus on every time i guess i do move into a new movement i'm kind of breathing in with the move, new movement yeah. and breathing out as i'm exiting that movement um and sometimes you know it's not as easy to keep it on pace like that but uh that's my aim so i'm figuring you know slow you know ever heard the i don't know if you ever heard the phrase slow uh uh fast as slow as fast and what is it slow as fast and fast as slow or something something like that we're basically like if you can do something slowly and then build up from there you're better off doing it that way than just speeding through it anyway so and that's kind of how i feel about like you know lifting as well it's like so many people try to speed through their movements when they lift and there's definitely um you know cause for that in certain things like if you're doing a snatch you know you're not going to do a snatch slowly at least not you know with appreciable weight because the whole point is that you're using body leverage to power or to power and you know move that weight up and if you're not moving fast enough that weight's never going to get there but having said that to learn it you have to learn it slowly otherwise your muscles won't know how to move properly um so that's why i've just been trying to keep it slow and steady as you go 
Exactly, man. It's all about the form. I, like I said, I got back to the gym recently. So, you know, I used to lift a lot more back in the day when I was working out. I had a break for three years. So the muscle memory is still there in the body. And when I lift the weights, I'm like, ah, this is too little, man. I mean, I should do a lot more. I'm tempted to do a lot more, but then my body's not the same anymore. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing all right in weight in the weight category, but I'm, I know I can lift more, but I am consciously mm-hmm. not lifting more because I want to get the strength first and get the form right. Once you get the form right and the breathing, even, in, even when you're lifting weights, you got to get the breathing right. Correct. So mm-hmm. once you get the form and the breathing right, that's when you go to the next level, which is more of an organic growth than just pushing yourself and, you know, then eventually hurting yourself. And I think that's what mm-hmm. yoga is. Yoga is all about, every time I've done yoga, it's always like, breathe in, one, you're breathing in, move your arm up. Okay, now when you move your arm the other way, breathe out. Now again, breathe in. It's all about syncing your breath with your body movements. Your breath, I think, mm-hmm. it's, 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 I mean, people don't speak enough about breath. You know, it's just considered um, so... Uh, so normal is like uh, you take it for granted, like, you know, you're breathing, just your basic breathing. Breath is one of the most important things uh, for the human body. It's, uh, it regulates your body, right? So even when you're starting meditation, first time, if you ever meditated, I don't know if you have before, but they say all you no, do. not really. Yeah. yeah all they say is shut your eyes, sit, sit in a straight posture. And then just concentrate on your breath. All you do is concentrate on you taking your breath in. In fact, yoga is, I mean, from the little yoga that I've done, I've done little yoga, but I've studied a lot more yoga, if that makes any sense. It's all about your breath. Just mm-hmm. the right way of breathing and controlling your breath. And and eventually, once you get enough, uh, uh, once you get to an advanced stage, you can channel your breath. You can, I mean, it sounds stupid, but you can, actually cure so many of your problems of your health problems just by breathing right it's called pranayam the i think i think the the science of breathing in yoga is called pranayam there are different ways of doing pranayam i think we spoke about this last time taking in three or one nostril mm-hmm. exiting to the other it sounds so basic but if you do it wrong which i did once for like about a week dude i was suffering man you got all breathless and shit but if you do it right you can you can do so much with it you know so that's what yoga is yoga is just about breathing right and and all the other movements come with the breath and it's an incredible thing man i really want to learn yoga properly i i also takes it also takes a lot of patience and i in this i think in this world where we live in with with instant gratification like you go to the gym right you do some weights and you look at yourself in the mirror, you got a pump going, right? It's like instant. You're like, ah, look at this. I've fucking done something. I'm already, I'm at least looking better if I'm not feeling better. But yoga has, I think it takes more of a holistic approach and then takes your time and eventually has uh, greater benefits than, well, I'm not going to say greater benefits, but it has great benefits anyways. In, in exercise has instant benefits. So I guess, yeah, it's also a patience game. Yeah, it's less obvious benefit. At least, well, I think for the, yeah, like you said, you know, when you when you uh, lift weights, especially if you're doing, you know, higher reps or whatever, you get that pump. So you have that immediate feeling. 
like coursing through your body and then like you know then maybe there's also like you get to see the size of your muscles it's much more obvious and quick i guess result even if reality i mean is like you know another hour or two after the workout if you're doing that kind of workout like you know your muscles are starting to not swell anymore again so like but it's still more obvious whereas like you're saying uh, with i think like yoga and you know breath work um it's it's not as it's either you're not aware you know maybe like you're just so unaware of how your body functions that you can't see the difference or you can't i'm sorry you can't tell the difference or the other and the other side of it is just it takes longer for those things to like come into effect uh, um but you know i would say like that's the thing it's like at the other day like if you really think about building muscle because there's a difference between I think, you know, your muscles getting seemingly looking larger for, you know, the during and the short period after the workout versus actually building lean muscle mass. You know, if you're a newbie um, or if you haven't been to the gym in a while, those gains come fairly quickly. But then after you've been doing it for, uh, you know, a good period of time, it's been staying consistent, the gaining of lean muscle mass, you know, becomes a lot harder to the point where, you know, if you're a few years in, like you're only gaining, you know, maybe a pound or two a month if you're lucky. Mm. Uh, yeah. And you know, that's on the high end. Yeah. Um, so it's similar. Like, I, I guess for me, it's become, you know, when I first started out, it was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, get that pump and and see it. But now it's like, I know it's still happening, but it's happening at a lesser rate. And it's like, I don't, I guess I've become a lot more, um, uh, calm in my approach so much like the yoga thing it's like you know i may not feel different from day like from monday to wednesday but from you know january to march i've noticed a difference exactly you know, yeah kind of and i'm learning to appreciate those jumps for like not jumps i'm sorry learning to appreciate that the time it takes and not get bogged down in the idea of like oh well i just did this workout and it didn't immediately show me what i wanted so i'm going to switch it up because i definitely did that all the time when i was first starting out like i would do something for like a week or two and i'd be like okay i'm i i gotta switch it because i'm not getting what i want out of it and it's like no you just need to sit back and you know and, and sit with that particular workout for at least you know at least a month if not more like you know on average so the point now I'm like, you know, I'll give it eight weeks, six to eight weeks usually before I switch it up. And even when I switch it up, it's like, I'm not doing completely different style, um, you know, exercises. It's like, I might go from doing, uh, you know, a zerker squat to a goblet squat or, a, or a back squat versus like, you know, completely changing up my routine. Um, but all it's all time, you know, it's, you just gotta, I feel like that's life, though. And, uh, yeah. About... Yeah, you got to keep switching stuff up, though. I think yoga, like you said, man, yoga is, no, is I think, summarizes less of a superficial gain. It's more of an internal gain. You do have superficial gain, too. Mm -hmm. If you get to a higher level and if you start doing, like, those things that people do in hot yoga and stuff, you're going to build a – I mean, your core is going to be strong as hell. Uh, but it's more of, uh, you know, it's more internal, more like more holistic uh, growth Mm -hmm. uh, then just let's just say going and lifting weights in the gym, which also has great benefit. Don't get me wrong, because I think it uh, ends up secreting all those hormones that are required for you to be in a better mood and all those things. Is it dopamine, right? 
Uh, yeah, so it raised your uh, your serotonin, and dopamine. serotonin, and dopamine, right? So which is great. I mean, it does lift your mood up as well. I think yoga, what it does is just basically uh, syncs up your system, and uh, in the long run, it's of great benefit. I mean, we can talk about yoga forever. I mean, in India, mm-hmm. people claim to have lived. I'm going to say hundreds of years. I'm not even going to say over a hundred years because people claim to live over a hundred, over 150, maybe 200 years. Uh, there's no, I can't provide evidence for it anyways, but I know for a fact that yoga will definitely, I mean, if you're yoga, if you do the, if you do yoga and you live by certain principles in life, uh, when it comes to eat your eating habits, your sleeping habits and uh, stuff like yoga and exercise, uh, your aging process is reduced drastically. And also your life is elongated. So you might be 50 years old, but you can very possibly look 30. Right? And uh, yeah. there is evidence of this. I am I'm quite the opposite of that, but there is there is evidence of this. And... Uh, well, that's mine. <laughs> yeah. And there's a... Yeah, and there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of people preaching this too. I mean, remember I talked to, talk to you about Sadhguru? You remember that? Mm-hmm. About the Isha Foundation, man, I'm I'm addicted to that guy's his teachings, man. He doesn't talk about he doesn't talk about religion, man. It's nothing to do with religion, right? It's he doesn't. I mean, okay, so if you ask, so I, I listen to him on YouTube, right? So he mostly his actually not mostly his entire, if you want to call it for lack of a better word, sermon is about living and whatever your meaning for life and all that stuff, and he lo- he mocks. He mocks at the idea of having, you know, uh, uh, your, uh, what do you call, what, what do you put on this earth for? You know, what is the meaning of life? He mocks at the idea of it. He said, there is no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no your purpose. Mm-hmm. The only purpose is existence. All right. We're looking for meaning in life. There's no, that's because we're bored and we're just spoiled. So for lack of better word, if you and I were living in a jungle, our only purpose in life was survival. That was our purpose. Our purpose wasn't to go and do charity. Our purpose wasn't to become a millionaire. Purpose wasn't to visit every country in the world. Our purpose was just to survive. And he said, those are the basic ideas of life. It's just still true. And we create all this stress in our life and anxiety in our life for no reason. There is no purpose in life. Only purpose in life is existence. And once you understand that, you're swimming. And, um, but dude, the thing is that man speaks to you in so many levels. This is just one, I, this is just one thing I'm telling you, dude, he talks to you about aliens. He talks to you about, he talks a lot about Hindu mythology, but not, in, not, not in terms of preaching Hinduism. He's trying to tell you about life through the books of, uh, of India, if you want to call it that, because if you look at Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism, they basically talk to you about life. It's not a doctrine. It's about life. You know, the books, uh, like there's a book called, I don't know if you know about it. It's about, it's the most incredible book that you'll ever read. Uh, it's, it's mythology. Yes. But some claim that it was true, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a fact, but people say they have enough evidence of it. Uh, but it's basically talks about war, 
between two families both families were full of gods so the gods fighting the gods so like krishna you heard of lord krishna richard ricky ricky Man, it sucks. Ricky? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, man. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you. All right. So he talks about, like, so the Mahabharata is about war between two, uh, two uh, basically the cousins, right? The two families, but they're cousins. And they're all gods. They call the Kauravs and the Pandavas. And the lessons you learned and they're all gods right so they love each other but they're having a they're having a war and you know in the mahabharata they talk about nuclear weapons all right this is mm-hmm. i don't know 15000 years ago i don't know how long back it was they talk about nuclear weapons and this is so the so how christianity has the bible and islam has the quran similarly and like judaism has the torah hinduism has our a uh, sacred book amongst others one is called the gita the bhagavad gita it's called yeah this was spoken by lord krishna to another lord of ours called arjun and arjun was a great archer and he was having uh, an ethical problem moral problem fighting his own brother he's saying i'm i'm going to kill my own brothers because they my cousins in in india cousins are considered like first like first cousins are considered like real real siblings and like i'm going to be killing my own uh, brothers for what and this is when lord krishna gave a sermon to arjuna uh about what's happening and what is the truth of it what is everything right what is life about and that is the basis that if you can say is the book which is the gita which fo- is one of the foundations of uh hindu religion was him explaining this to, so, to arjun he yes he's explaining the uh i won't call the meaning of life but just you know he's having a a problem with his consciousness he's like i'm uh not his consciousness his conscience rather he's saying he's the, he's the greatest archer in the world but he's having to fight his own cousin right he says he loves them but they're both at war and uh, lord krishna actually is riding the chariot in which krishna is going to war at and they're on the battlefield this is while they're in the battlefield and lord krishna is talking to him about what's right and what's wrong basically the whole book about the bhagavad gita is about life and uh, what's right and what's wrong um i i don't know if i'm doing justice to what the book's about but this is it's about so many things you know it's not just a simple book about but what i'm trying to say is it's about life basically not just what's right and wrong it's about what's life you know and it's incredible it's not doctrine it's not saying that you must do this or this will happen to you no like this is life and it even comes to a point where krishna tells him how how you must you can do wrong you can do wrong for a for a higher purpose do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's it's quite fascinating i wish i had read it all but now i just downloaded the audiobook and the thing with the with these books there are three books which are the cornerstones of hinduism right the three major books one is called the mahabharat which is the the war and it dude you got to read it because 
it really talks about so much science uh, that we still haven't achieved in this era. This is why I, I have the opinion that this is another lifetime of the human race. The human race has existed before. It's reached the pinnacle of advancement and then it has perished and it has restarted and it again has reached again. It's another era of human life. I think this is uh, something which is echoed, not just, I mean, I'm not the first person to say it, of course. I think it's echoed since many, actually centuries. Even, I think even uh, Christianity in a way does uh, um, address it because this is the era of the fish, right? There's another era, there's another era, there's another era before that and after that too. And actually as per Hinduism, this is supposed to be the last era and uh, it's going to be Kalyug after this which is Kalyug in Hinduism is similar to what um, Apocalypse is in Christianity, right? So the next, so the next uh, era, Yug in Sanskrit means era, basically timeline, time, yeah, timeline. Um, so the next, Kal means tomorrow, basically. So the next lifetime of the human being is going to be the last one. That's what they say. Um, so the th I was, I'm coming back to uh, the books, the three books of Hinduism, at least the, the cornerstones of Hinduism, uh, the mythology is Ramayan, which is the story of the Lord Ram. Uh, another incredible book, lots and lots of lessons to be learned in it. That's what the book is about. Then there's Mahabharat, which I just spoke to you about, uh, the war between the two families who loved each other full of the, the gods all both of them are gods the gods fighting the gods right or something which is and that's another thing is they're fighting about something which is extremely silly right uh even though they're gods right and uh, the last is the bhagavad gita but bhagavad gita basically comes out of the mahabharata so these are the three books which are the four cornerstones and they're all just life lessons they're no doctrine and uh to understand it, you can't. One is to read the book, uh, but these these teachings were never meant to be read. Um, they were always spoken um, most of the time. So you went and you learned, like how you go to the, the church and you go for mass, and the priest speaks to you and he explains to you what the Bible is. Similarly, uh, for these books, also you're supposed to, it was supposed to be narrated. So typically the grandmother or the mother used to explain it to uh, her kids. And uh, so my grandmother spoke to, to explain it to my mom. My mom explained it to me a little bit, but the thing is as time passes by, the relevance of these books is reduced more and more. Haven't you noticed of anything of all teachings? Mm. Uh, I think to a point when one day it'll be so relevant that we'll all go back to basics. So, so when when I when I'm speaking of Sadguru, he speaks about everything. So when he speaks to about speaks to you about anything which is by definition Hindu, part of the Hindu religion, he doesn't talk to you about. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not preaching Hinduism. He's not trying to convert you or spread spread the word of Hindu. He's trying to explain to you through Hinduism the teachings which make up this life, and dude. And then obviously, as a lot of yoga, he talks about aliens, man. 
and talks about aliens i'll send you some episodes after this about one of the most uh, sacred lakes of our country actually is in today in uh, china actually so it's called manzuru quick question regarding the, the yeah the alien thing so these gods they're only yeah. gods of this particular earth then no man this is what this is why i love uh dude you know my my uh, my fascination with hinduism has increased so much recently uh actually my fascination with hinduism increased purely because of the amount of detail they've given about extraterrestrial life okay now because i was born hindu i knew some things about hinduism but i never really practiced anything cuz i didn't give a shit but now that i've become more of a spiritual person i've started finding a lot of truth about life uh and the, sim- the basically the simplicity of life and how we complicate it through hinduism right that is one thing but what drew me to it is the evidence of extraterrestrial life and through that i found out about the immense evidence of extraterrestrial uh life form in every religion in the world i mean it's incredible dude i don't know how anybody could even dispute the fact that there has been extraterrestrial life this is me i'm not a scientist i'm not some super intelligent being i i just i've been reading a lot and uh, um, there's so much evidence dude i mean i think we've spoken about this but you know, i spoke to you about the inca lines in peru then there is this thing called the i think it's called the uh divine briefcase um uh, or, or something like that basically something the briefcase of the gods or something like that what it is is every dude there are stone paintings right now here's this is what is fascinating this depiction of a ma- of basically a god carrying a f- modern day briefcase like a freaking suitcase like an office briefcase right in mesopotamia in egypt in india in australia man in south america in peru right these continents were not connected at least from the information that we know in those days they were not connected there was no travel between them there was no trade there was nothing mm-hmm. these are depictions of gods and this is not the same god they gods of their imagination or representation you know people represent gods in different ways and they're all carrying this one briefcase all of them right there's that there's the inca the inca lines dude sorry uh, the sorry not the inca lines the nazca lines the nazca lines are ridiculous and they in fact i think recently they found some four or five new nazca lines I don't think anybody in the world can give I don't think there has been a proper explanation happened, yeah. to debunk Nazca yeah. lines. Nobody in the world has ever been able to explain to you why that's not extraterrestrial. Nobody. I then uh Hindu mythology speaks of they don't even make bones about it, do they just say this god came to earth for this purpose and then he left again. and then he went away okay now this guy got came here and he did this i now uh dude there's so much like even in the rama ramayan is another incredible book it's about the the fight between the, the the good and the evil but the person who turns evil the story of the book actually is it's it's a great story but the thing to learn from that is the person who is evil 
was once upon a time the most respected intellectual loved human being in the whole world he's called his name is ramayan uh, sorry his name is ravan and he's got he's got 10 heads right those 10 heads actually are not supposed to be real heads he was in a monster the 10 heads are actually the different uh, virtues of his character right and how the most intelligent person and the most uh, what you, he was a huge shiv the, you know shiva he's a huge disciple of shiva he was a, a very very loved king he was a noble king he loved his he did great for people uh, he was a great warrior he was everything so a person with great intellect uh, you know very humble everything working on his in his uh, for him he could get corrupted too hmm. you know his lust for ram's wife is basically the book what he basically did is he went and kidnapped ram's wife because he wanted her but this is one side of the story if you go to sri lanka and you listen to the story of ravan it's a different story all right they'll also show why he did it because why did he get corrupted all right there's got to be something which makes a man like him tip you know why would he why would he trip and just you know change shades why would why would why would there be dr d jekyll and mr hyde for him right but that's the story when they say 10 heads those are the 10 aspects of his character there's ego there's pride there's blah 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 and that is what from eventually killed but recently i was having conversation with somebody and they were talking about how people don't tell the entire story because there was another person who wrote the story many thousand years ago and he also tells you ravan inside of the story why that happened apparently lord ram had disfigured ravan's sister ravan the guy with the 10 heads who eventually mm-hmm. kidnapped ram's wife so ram the god had actually gone and disfigured this man's wife so as a, uh, this man's sister so as an act of revenge actually he went and uh, kidnapped his wife so uh, it's basically just they basically lessons in life through hinduism but then again like i said so when ram went to sri lanka he went with the you know the the monkey god um ricky yeah you know the monkey god uh, you heard of the monkey god in india not, not in india but uh well asia in general i guess i've seen like what's it called i don't know i i couldn't say i know anything about it like seriously but i've seen you know the monkey god referred to in various tv shows or movies yeah exactly right so all around southeast asia you'll see it in thailand yeah. you'll see it too so his name is hanuman and dude i we can have an entire conversation about how incredible that is and there's some startling things i can tell you about it's incredible man i mean i learned about this recently and it just it makes you realize how incredible uh uh this this god is and anyways there there's certain uh, conspiracy theories about it which i can talk to you about later but he so so the his the, the hanuman is a lord hanuman is a god who you who was a disciple of lord ram and he helped lord ram uh rescue his wife from what is today modern day sri lanka so to connect the 
mainland of India to Sri Lanka, if you remember the map of India. The monkey garden. So Sri Lanka is a, an island just south of the tip of India, right? Slight, hardly anything actually. So the monkey guard, along with his monkey soldiers, which is called the Vanar Sena, his army of monkeys, they built a bridge of bricks from the southern tip of India to Sri Lanka. This is written in the books, okay? And his book is, I don't know, at least 10,000 years old, right? He built a bridge. If you look at a satellite picture of India and Sri Lanka, you still see that bridge under the water. This is a fact. Really? I've seen it a million when I'm flying. What's it called? The, the bridge is called Ram Setu. Ram is Lord Ram. S-E-T-U, Setu. You can Google it. Okay? Setu basically means bridge in Hindi. Or in Sanskrit, actually. And you can see it from the air. I've seen it a million times when I'm flying over because I used to fly to Colombo all the time. And even, I mean, it's very easily visible. It's not like, it's not, it's not like, oh, maybe it looks like a bridge. No, it's, it's just underwater now. Wow. So all this is, dude, all this is evidence. Now, what I'm trying to say is not that, I'm not saying Hanuman wasn't a god or not, but this is extraterrestrial, dude. This is like so many years ago, thousands of years ago. It couldn't just be the work of what we think is man today. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's so much evidence, dude. Another thing I was, you know, I was watching a video recently on YouTube and uh, a few hundred years ago, a British scientist, he came up with a discovery that what is today the Indian Ocean from the southern tip of India to Madagascar and to Indonesia was this huge cardoid sort of island, okay? And that is where the animal, the lemur, the monkey came from. And he named it Lemuria. Okay. And he came up with a lot of theories about how there were different beings living there with six hands and stuff like that, four hands and stuff like that. Okay. And with the process of evolution or whatever, they ceased to exist. But he also came up with the theory that why they came into being was because extraterrestrials visited that land and from one of the ships, some of the guys, some of the extraterrestrials, they basically mutinied their commander and decided to basically mate with earthlings. And that's how giants, the idea of giants basically came into being because they were species which were much taller than us and they disobeyed their commander of whatever ship they were from and they decided they want to come to earth and you know mate with the earthlings and that's why there were some time where beings with four hands and and today what is considered to be a giant site existed now that's that's a theory right and obviously this is a man who published that theory so obviously there was a lot of evidence and fact that he had mentioned. But when he did this, the Tamilian people of India, South India, you know, you've, have you heard of Tamilian people? No. In the South of India, where the city of Chennai is, is a, it's in the state of Tamil Nadu. The Tamil people are some of the most uh, advanced ancient 
cultures of the world okay even today so what is today singapore malaysia and all of indonesia they all the basic language the, the foundations of the language are tamil tamil is one of the oldest languages in the world and a very very rich one and an extremely frequently spoken one okay and you know how the the, the christian calendar is on 2000 years right now mm-hmm. and islamic calendar is something else the tamil calendar right now is at 5000 years okay so when this theory of lemuria came he said what are you talking about lemuria he said this is written in our books since 5000 years it's called kumari something all right and it existed you just found out about it it is written in our books since 5000 years all of this extraterrestrial activity is is all documented man it's just that it's not it's kind of lost it was well known once upon a time is just lost i guess when the last age of humans uh ceased maybe it was lost then it was never learned again maybe when we uh, learn about it again again it will be lost maybe the aliens don't want us to know about it you know mm-hmm. who knows yeah anyways those are my ideas what do you think <laughs> that was a lot of information um do this much uh, do the extraterrestrial i mean i don't know if you're into it you can keep you know about the chinese uh satellite dish right which has been transmitting uh communication to any extraterrestrial uh planet or being that is there it's the biggest satellite in the world do you know that one right yeah so the chinese i'm going to say 3 or 4 years ago this launched a satellite dish in the mountains i think it's in south china but don't quote me where this location is i mean it was published it's not me reading and creating conspiracy theories this is published the biggest satellite dish ever and its sole purpose is to transmit and find extraterrestrial activity sole purpose is that so they just send out i guess signals constantly or do they receive like are they yeah. also receiving or just not for i mean not to say that they are receiving but are they i guess listening as well they're listening they're monitoring and you know you know um there's a project what's the project called it's very famous man uh it's it's actually it's an american project it was government aided but now it's uh it's now uh privately run but imagine it was government aided if i tell you you'll know uh man i wish i could just google this well, let me look it up let me look it up SETI it's called SETI right you know about SETI i the name's familiar but SETI institute yeah yeah oh it's okay uh, yeah yeah right <laughs> you know what i'm talking about uh-huh. yeah. so set i think it's center for not center actually it stands for search for extraterrestrial intelligence okay that's an that's an american one so they have been transmitting pulses or of communication into the to the space and they they've been sending messages 
in all of the most widely spoken languages of earth so english you know french spanish hindi mandarin and uh, chinese i mean mandarin and and cantonese and japanese and they've all now i read an article some time ago where they actually it's not i don't know if it was seti but one of these uh, organizations which are sending out pulses into the unknown universe actually received a reply they apparently sent this pulse wildly uh, as you call it, transmitting blind transmitted that blindly into the universe and they received a response about four or five years after they transmitted it and i read that it actually came through uh, some sort of uh, wormhole uh, that they discovered existed in uh, some distant space so they don't know exactly how far the, the reply came from because it must have got sucked into the wormhole and and then reached to another dimension or whatever universe part of the universe and then somehow it has been received back so there you go <laughs> they received a signal but they don't know like did they is it i mean interpretable or no yeah i don't think uh, extraterrestrial activity is i don't think it's a question of weather man anymore it's just where yeah well i mean personally i think so i mean it's it's hard to believe that at least for me it's hard to believe that we are the only um intelligent life form in the uh you know in the universe considering the number of plant sheer number of planets uh that are out there and stars i think it's a little self-centered to believe that we would be the only one um so i definitely think there's uh alien life forms out there you know what what form they take i have no idea um but i do believe that they are out there yeah i agree with you man this is another question i've asked i said the, what form they take is another question i have that why is it that we're looking for ourselves out there, out there do you know what i mean mm. they could be you like say man reaches let's say man went to moon right let's say he did but i think he eventually did even if it wasn't the first time but uh i'm not saying it wasn't the first time but there's a conspiracy theory about it but eventually even if not that time they they did go eventually let's say you're there all right now you're looking for aliens or whatever but you don't see anybody does that mean they don't exist see the thing is you and i can only see what is incident to our eyes right if there's light on it and it, and reflects and it touches our eyes that's when we realize there's something there right what if it is something that cannot be incident to our eyes what if it is made of some sort of a mm. life form is a life not not a carbon based life form or whatever it's made of something that does not reflect light Do you know it's stealth for humans right mm-hmm. does that mean as maybe they're standing there and looking at us making complete ass of ourselves and like look at these bumps Do you know what i mean yeah. um maybe they're already ex- i mean maybe they're already here maybe they're already uh, visiting us and you know frequently and uh, basically uh, checking up on us or studying us but we can never see them because their body isn't made of things that we can see you know well in that instance would you See, like, I, yeah, 
I, I well, you know, obviously there's even if you just look at like radio and light, you know, light and radio in that sense of just those forms of energy that, you know, we can only see a certain degree of it as humans. And there are many other, you know, forms of energy that we can't see or perceive in any meaningful way without like certain levels of technology. Um, but in that same instance, presuming that that was the case where aliens were, um, you know, real and existed and like they were already visiting us and we'd already interacted with them, let's say on the moon or in other places, um, we just could not perceive them. In effect, when I guess at least as far as a um, not aesthetic, but as far as a meaningful in a meaningful way, if we can't effectively communicate with them in any way, or see them, and they can't effectively communicate with us, um, does it even is it even matter in that sense? Are they are they even real in that sense in the terms of like what functionally matters for this for as a society or as a people or whatever you want to, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it in, in the same way that like, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just like, is it, does it even matter that like, is it like, okay. In the same way that like, let's say there are parallel parallel universes. Like every time we make a decision, we essentially create a new universe. Um, but we can't interact yeah. with that universe or that, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, that, yeah. You know, so in effect, those don't matter, right? So, yeah, yeah. How? What do you think about that? Like in that term, in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you there, man. Uh, I never thought of it like that. Actually, does it even matter? I don't know. Uh, I mean, as long does it matter, man? I don't know. How does it? Whether extraterrestrial, are you asking me if extraterrestrial active, if extraterrestrial life forms exist, does it even matter? Is that what you're asking me? Because well, it doesn't affect us. Well, if we can't, if we can't interact with them in any meaningful way, exactly. Does it matter? Yeah, you can't interact with them anyway. How does it matter? Yeah, man, I agree with you, dude. That's what I. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Does it matter? It's a good question. I if they're controlling us in some way, and when I mean in controlling is not like, you know. Uh, controlling us like a puppet but like if they're affecting the the world we live in in some way uh perhaps it matters but have they always affected the way the world works since the beginning of time because maybe they were here before we were then mm. i don't think it matters because that's always been the case that's the life that we know mm -hmm. but if they're like in scientific terms if they're an impurity which has been added into our uh, molecular structure and then they're affecting a life i suppose then it does matter because then things are happening which you don't understand see all this while we've existed we're trying to understand how things work so if they've always been there and affecting the way things work we've kind of understood it and that is the way of our life but if that isn't the case and they've come and they've started being the impurity which is changing the way things happen on earth, then I guess it does matter. Mm. Purely from an existential point of view. But then again... Like if they uh, Trump to be the president, like that's a huge thing. Sorry, what? I was making a joke. I was like, yeah, like if they had caused Trump to win the presidency, that's a big deal. We would want you never to... know. <laughs> we would I never see know. an alien. Sure. 
Oh, definitely. I think if Trump finds out their alien life forms, he's going to deport them. He's going to build a wall. <laughs> he's going to build a space force build a and then build a fucking wall in space and <laughs> just send them back. <laughs> America first or whatever, Earth first or whatever. He's building a space force, right? Yeah, yeah, the space force is a thing. The real thing, right? It's not just some mumbo-jumbo, right? Mm-hmm. I think actually speaking... It wasn't a god or not, but this is extraterrestrial, dude. This is like so many years ago, thousands of years ago. It couldn't just be the work of what we think is man today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much evidence, dude. Another thing I was, you know, I was watching a video recently on YouTube. And uh, a few hundred years ago, a British scientist, he came up with a discovery that what is today the Indian Ocean from the southern tip of India to Madagascar and to Indonesia was this huge cardoid sort of island. Okay. And that is where the animal, the lemur, the monkey came from. And he named it Lemuria. Okay. And he came up with a lot of theories about how there were different beings living there with six hands and stuff like that, four hands and stuff like that. Okay. And with the process of evolution or whatever, they ceased to exist. But he also came up with the theory that why they came into being was because extraterrestrials visited that land and from one of the ships some of the guys, some of the extraterrestrials, they basically mutinied their commander and decided to basically mate with earthlings. And that's how giants, the idea of giants basically came into being because they were species which were much taller than us. And they disobeyed their commander of whatever ship they were from. And they decided they want to come to Earth and, you know, mate with the Earthlings. And that's why there were some time where beings with four hands and and today what is considered to be a giant sight existed. Now, that's, that's a theory, right? And obviously, this is a man who published that theory. So obviously, there was a lot of evidence and fact that he had mentioned. But when he did this, the Tamilian people of India, South India, you know, you've, have you heard of Tamilian people? No. In the south of India, where the city of Chennai is, is a, it's in the state of Tamil Nadu. The Tamil people are some of the most uh, advanced ancient uh, cultures of the world. Okay? Even today. So, what is today Singapore, Malaysia, and all of Indonesia... They all, the basic language, the, the foundations of the language are Tamil. Tamil is one of the oldest languages in the world and a very, very rich one and an extremely frequently spoken one, okay? And you know how the, the, the Christian calendar is on 2,000 years right now mm-hmm. and Islamic calendar is something else. The Tamil calendar right now is at 5,000 years, okay? So when this theory of Lemuria came, he said, what are you talking about, Lemuria? He said, this is written in our books since 5,000 years. It's called Kumari something, right? And it existed. You just found out about it. It's written in our books since 5,000 years. All of this 
extraterrestrial activity is is all documented man it's just that it's not it's kind of lost it was well known once upon a time is just lost i guess when the last age of humans uh ceased maybe it was lost then it was never learned again maybe when we uh, learn about it again again it will be lost maybe the aliens don't want us to know about it you know mm-hmm. who knows yeah anyways those are my ideas what do you think <laughs> that was a lot of information um do this much do the extraterrestrial i mean i don't know if you're into it you can keep do you know about the chinese uh satellite dish right which has been transmitting uh communication to any extraterrestrial uh planet or being that is there it's the biggest satellite in the world do you know that one right yeah so the chinese i'm going to say 3 or 4 years ago this launched a satellite dish in the mountains i think it's in south china but don't quote me where this location is i mean it was published it's not me reading and creating conspiracy theories this is published the biggest satellite dish ever and its sole purpose is to transmit and find extraterrestrial activity sole purpose is that so they just send out i guess signals constantly or do they receive like are they yeah. also receiving or just not but i mean not to say that they are receiving but are they i guess listening as well they're listening they're monitoring and you know you know um there's a project what's the project called it's very famous man uh it's it's actually it's an american project it was government aided but now it's uh it's now uh privately run but imagine it was government aided if i tell you you'll know uh man i wish i could just google this Well, let me look it up. Let me look it up. SETI. It's called SETI, right? You know about SETI? I... That name's familiar, but... SETI. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I think it's Center for not Center. Actually, it stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Okay, that's an that's an American one. So they have been transmitting pulses or of communication into the to the space, and they they've been sending messages. in all of the most widely spoken languages of earth so english you know french spanish hindi mandarin and uh, chinese i mean mandarin and, and cantonese and japanese and they've all now i read an article some time ago where they actually it's not, i don't know if it was seti but one of these uh, organizations who were sending out pulses into the unknown universe actually received a reply they apparently sent this pulse widely uh, as you call it, transmitting blind transmitted that blindly into the universe and they received a response about 4 or 5 years after they transmitted it and i read that it actually came through uh, some sort of uh, wormhole uh, that they discovered existed in uh, 
some distant space. So they don't know exactly how far the, the reply came from because it must have got sucked into the wormhole and, and then reached to another dimension or whatever universe, part of the universe. And then somehow it has been received back. So there you go. <laughs> they received a signal, but they don't know, like, did they, is it I mean, interpretable or no? Yeah, I don't think uh, extraterrestrial activity is, I don't think it's a question of weather, man, anymore. It's just where. Yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I think so. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that, at least for me, it's hard to believe that we are the only um, intelligent life form in the, uh, you know, in the universe, considering the number of planet, sheer number of planets uh, that are out there and stars. I think it's a little self-centered to believe that we would be the only ones. Um, so I definitely think there's uh, alien life forms out there. You know, what what form they take, I have no idea. Um, but I do believe that they are out there. Yeah, I agree with you, man. This is another question I've asked. I said, to w- what form they take is another question I have. That Why is it that we're looking for ourselves out there? Out there? Do you know what I mean? Mm. They could be, you, like, say man reaches let's say man went to moon, right? Let's say he did. But I think he eventually did, even if it wasn't the first time. But uh, I'm not saying it wasn't the first time, but there's a conspiracy theory about it. But eventually, even if not that time, they they did go eventually. Let's say you're there. All right, now you're looking for aliens or whatever, but you don't see anybody. Does that mean they don't exist? See, the thing is, you and I can only see what is incident to our eyes right if there's light on it and, and reflects and it touches our eyes that's when we realize there's something there right what if it is something that cannot be incident to our eyes what if it is made of some sort of a mm. life form it's a life not not a carbon-based life form or whatever it's made of something that does not reflect light but you know it's stealth for humans right mm-hmm. does that mean there's Maybe they're standing there and looking at us, making a complete ass of ourselves. And like, look at these bumps. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, maybe they're already, ex- I mean, maybe they're already here. Maybe they're already uh, visiting us and, you know, frequently and uh, basically uh, checking up on us or studying us. But we can never see them because their body isn't made of things that we can see, you know? Well, in that instance, would you. See, like, I, yeah, I, I, well, you know, obviously, there's even if you just look at like radio and light, you know, light and radio in that sense, just those forms of energy that you know we can only see a certain degree of it as humans, and there are many other you know forms of energy that we can't see or perceive in any meaningful way without like certain levels of technology. Um, but in that same instance, presuming that that was the case where aliens were. Um, you know, real and existed and like they were already visiting us and we'd already interacted with them, let's say on the moon or in other places, um, we just could not perceive them. In effect, wouldn't, I guess, at least as far as a, um, not aesthetic, but as far as a meaningful, in a meaningful way, if we can't effectively communicate with them in any way or see them and they can't effectively communicate with us, 
um, does it even is it even matter in that sense? Are they are they even real in that sense in the terms of like what functionally matters for this for as a society or as a people or whatever you want to or, you know whatever you want to call it in in the same way that like um, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah yeah just like is it does it even matter then like is it like okay in the same way that like let's say there are parallel parallel universes like every time we make a decision we essentially create a new universe um but we can't interact yeah. with that universe or that uh, you know what i mean uh, that, yeah. you know so in effect those don't matter right so yeah yeah how what do you think about that like in that term in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I gotta agree with you there, man. Uh, I never thought of it like that, actually. Does it even matter? I don't know. Uh, I mean, as long... Does it matter, man? I don't know. How does it... Whether extraterrestrial... Are you asking me if extraterrestrial active... If extraterrestrial life forms exist does it even matter is that what you're asking me because well, it doesn't affect us well if we can't if we can't interact with them in any meaningful way exactly it yeah, matter? yeah. Can't interact with them anyway how does it matter yeah man i agree with you dude that's what i yeah yeah i agree how does it matter it's a good question i if they're controlling us in some way and when i mean in controlling is not like you know uh, controlling us like a puppet but like if they're affecting the the world we live in in some way, uh, perhaps it matters. But have they always affected the way the world works since the beginning of time? Because maybe they were here before we were. Then mm. I don't think it matters because that's always been the case. That's the life that we know. Mm -hmm. But if they're like in scientific terms, if they're an impurity which has been added into our uh, molecular structure. And then they're affecting a life. I suppose then it does matter because then things are happening which you don't understand. See, all this while we've existed, we're trying to understand how things work. So if they've always been there and affecting the way things work, we've kind of understood it. And that is the way of our life. But if that isn't the case and they've come and they've started being the impurity, which is changing the way things happen on earth, then I guess it does matter. Mm. Purely from an existential point of view. But then again. Like if they uh, Trump to be the president, like that's a huge thing. Sorry, what? I was making a joke. I was like, yeah, like if they had caused Trump to win the presidency, that's a big deal. We would want You never to... know. <laughs> we I see know. an alien. Sure. I definitely. I think if Trump finds out they're alien life forms. He's going to deport them. He's going to build a wall. <laughs> He's going to build a space force a and build a fucking wall in space <laughs> to send them back. <laughs> America first or whatever, Earth first or whatever. He's building a space force, right? Yeah, yeah. The space force is a thing. real thing, right? It's not just some mumbo jumbo, right? Mm-hmm. I think actually, speaking of space, I'm pretty sure that SpaceX, which is the company by Elon Musk, uh, I think they were supposed to have their first flight with NASA today or sometime very soon. Um, if I, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. You know about SpaceX and all that, like um, his thing? 
Oh yeah, I fucking love SpaceX, dude. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna say I'm some genius or whatever, and I mean I definitely wouldn't have achieved it, I think. But about ten years ago, I was really drunk at my cousin's wedding, and I was sitting with some buddies of mine, and they were like, "What do you want to do in your life? What is that one achievement? That you, what is your main goal in life? What is that one thing you want to do in life?" And I said, "I want to do is, <laughs> I want to do commercial space travel." I want to f- create the first commercial spaceport in the world and I want to launch rockets to Mars and make people travel in space. I and I said I don't know how to do it but I know I can do it because there is technology there is everything all you need to do is just fucking do it. Right? And uh they laughed at me obviously I was fucking drunk. I mean this is the thing I always wanted to do but I couldn't uh articulate very well that time because I was a bit tipsy. Mm-hmm. And obviously I don't know what how to do it i just know what i had the vision i had a real like a very very um, vivid vision of what i wanted and that's exactly what spacex is dude mm-hmm. he's just fucking done it he's done it like i mean not just done it he's been a success at it massive success at it yeah so dude, spacex man i elon musk for me is like i think he's the most important i think you can still call him an inventor if there's still a thing called inventions I think he's the most important inventor of our generation. Don't you think? He's like the Well, like, I mean, I know it's Tesla, but he's like the Nikola Tesla or the Edison of our generation. I mean, well, hold on. No, I would say well, first off, Edison stole the vast majority of his stuff from yeah, other sorry. people unfortunately. Well, Tesla, Tesla, he didn't Tesla's steal a badass. Them. He didn't steal them, but he borrowed them. He didn't steal them, but he didn't make everything. Well, yeah, but he right? presented them as if it was his invention to the world, and that yeah. you know whether he borrowed, bought them from the person, or hired them, and you know they developed it under him, kind of thing. He presented it as yeah. if he was the one who came up with it, which I think is disingenuous. Yeah. So don't get me wrong, I appreciate. Obviously, you got to appreciate what he did because he brought a lot of things to the world, and he's from Jersey, so you know got to support that. But he brought a lot of things to the world that wouldn't have, <laughs> wouldn't have. Uh, occurred otherwise but having said that yeah you know he didn't really invent that much now tesla is a badass yeah um yeah but i agree with you he didn't invent them most people in the world don't actually know that he didn't invent it see he created paypal he created some other stuff but he did not create tesla he bought tesla from somebody and he actually pretty in a very uh inscrupulous way kicked out the original owners of tesla actually spacex was his own baby yeah yeah well but i'm still a huge fan of his because you know there are a lot of people with a lot of money in the world who don't do fuck all and they don't need to as well but this guy just is actively always trying to push the boundaries don't you think oh yeah no he is i mean that's well that's what i was gonna say it's like i wouldn't necessarily call him an inventor yeah. but i would say he was he's right. one of the most prolific and i think one day will be known as one of the most important developers and pro like pushers of progress, technological progress of our time. I think, the, I think you hit it on the head. I think he should be called a developer. Yeah. Cause he doesn't come up with the idea. He develops an idea. Uh-huh. Right. So I think, I think that's what he is. He's a developer. And I think, yeah, he's definitely going to go down in the books as one of those guys who was, I, what do you think, man? Do you think he's going to be able to send a guy to Mars? Um, before he dies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Dude, I mean, he's got like a five-year timeline on it. Well, the biggest, problem with, 
the biggest issue that we like that we had was the fact that like it was just too expensive to have these things that couldn't be reused and couldn't like then um uh land and then come back and vice versa and like you know if you look at like you know let's go back all the way to you know well actually i was gonna say star trek but really i mean they've been talking about space exploration since like the 20s like with different various sci-fi writers but um or even before that but one of the one thing that was always a you know uh kind of i guess taken for granted within those storylines or within the ideas surrounding them was that, that we had the technology and that we had we had there was a technology with which we could send things off into space have them land um and not crash but land um and then have them fly back off and be able to land again and kind of be reused and up until now i mean nobody even though like like you know star trek what it came around in the 60s so like visually speaking we've been seeing this kind of thing since the 60s uh, like as far as like written you know we've been seeing this thing for well beyond that um easily 50 years before that uh so but in terms of actually creating something a rocket that couldn't land and then take off again it's taken another over 60 years for that to actually come to fruition and he's the one who did it so in terms of like will we get to mars i don't think the problem is was ever like you know do we not have the drive or anything like that it was just do we have the, the is it one cost effective enough and two do we have like a way of getting people back because who wants to you know who which astronaut i mean i'm granted i'm sure there would be some who would but like you know how many people are going to be willing to um go off and take a journey that's going to take them months if not years to get there with absolutely zero um you know uh, uh i guess zero um uh not reliable like not having any chance of coming back you know zero ability to come back you know nobody wants to just go for a one-way trip that's what a robot's for but now that we've gotten these vehicles that can actually do this trip and come back potentially yeah i think we'll get to mars now what that'll mean for us i don't know i mean like just getting there is one thing sure it's like but it's like look at what we did we got to the moon we haven't been back in like you know 40 50 years so what is that what did that really do for us beyond like i guess you know changing our point of view in terms of what we consider possible uh now i think the real important thing is once we get to mars what do we do with like what do we do over there what do we take from it like what do we learn from it um in terms of just getting there like getting there yes we'll get there but I, I just, I, I, I wonder what will be the purpose while on the way. Like, will they be trying to set up um, uh, self-sustaining, um, you know, living on there? Like, you know, or will they be, and you know, do scientific experiments? Basically, trying to basically leading, like, leading the world towards, like, I mean, not the world. I'm sorry, leading humanity to stepping off the world and becoming a space-faring race instead of just a, a a race that is bound to one planet. Um, that's going to be the interesting thing to see is how that progresses and how that develops to me. Uh, I'm less interested in just getting there than I am in like seeing what we do once we're there. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think uh, I, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, I think there, so the two major private companies when it comes to space the new space race, if you want to call it that, are uh, Blue Origins by Jeff Bezos and, and SpaceX. 
And I think Musk wants colonization of Mars, right? He wants people to live on Mars. Whereas Jeff Bezos says, I don't want people to live on another planet. He said the best planet is Earth because every other planet is actually hostile for us. This is the best planet for us. And so the, his idea is to actually mine other planets. So go there, get the resources, but live here. Because mm-hmm. I think, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a, the writings on the wall. And I think it's kind of under the rule that we've all accepted that we're going to run out of resources eventually. That's what led to the downfall of so many civilizations in the past. Like, uh, the, you know, the Easter Island people have always wondered where the, the, the monolithic faces came from. And the most popular theory is that they basically ran out of resources and killed each other um, after becoming cannibals. And that's basically uh, a microcosm for what Earth could be uh, if we keep going at the rate which we are. So Jeff Bezos says we stay here because this is the ideal planet for our life form, right? That's why we live here. We don't, we don't, we've already evolved to exist in this. We don't have to make an effort. We just exist here. But if we were to go to Mars, we'll have to do a lot of things for ourselves. I don't even, can, do they have oxygen on Mars? Do you know? No. no. Um, yeah, right. So you have to create an ecosystem yeah. for ourselves, right? Well, so I think, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that two, you know, two people who are, I guess, two of the richest people in the world and most successful people in the world have views that are similar but opposing in certain sense. But in reality, yeah. as with everything else in life, I think that it's like the happy medium between the two. Um, you know, it's yeah. true. Like every planet within our solar system or that we've found for the most part, um, that at least that we can get to within a reasonable time period, reasonable time period being within five to 10 years max. And that's a huge amount of time travel. If you, I mean, not time travel, sorry, amount of time to travel if you really think about it, but let's say five to 10 years max, is within, you know, there's only, there's none of the plans within that, within that um, range, at least as far as our current technology can, um, can, can meet. Um, are going to be habitable um, out of the go- out of the gate, right? So then the question becomes, like you said, like okay, do we go there and do we try to set up places, um, or do we try to terraform, which we don't have the technology for yet either, um, or yeah. do we just go and um, use the resource, use their resources um, that they have there, so that we can continue living here? Um, I think that in reality, what's going to happen, whether it happens in 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, whatever, if we're still even around, you know, um, yeah, is that what we'll find is that we will start with, you know, doing what you, you described Bezos is saying, which is like, you know, go there, use the resources that they have to continue living comfortably on this earth. Um, and then also, well, you know, study other um, atmospheres, study other, you know, develop technology more and maybe even find certain things that we can't find here that will help us in getting out further um, into space uh, in a more timely manner. But on the other hand, like eventually, no matter what, if we, you know, unless we really change the way we view population um, uh, controls and stuff like that and the way we, you know, grow, no matter what we do, we're going to exceed what this world can sustain, either in terms of actual resources or just purely space to put people on. You know what I mean? There's only so much yeah, land yeah. available, only so much habitable land available on the earth. And even if we get to the point where like we can start, you know, having people live in places that currently don't live like, you know, the Arctic 
uh, Antarctica, that stuff like that, places where we, we don't have people living, um, you know, even if we could do that, eventually it's all going to run up. Even if we could put people living on the ocean as a, like, not just like as a, you know, like a, people going on a cruise ship, but actually living, you know, for generations on generations on the ocean in some manner, eventually that'll all get used up. You know, there's only so much space available. So then inevitably we have to, if our society, like I said, if nothing happens in terms of like really um, disrupting our current population growth, either by our own hand is in we, we, you know, decide to taper that off or either by some natural disaster or something like that, if nothing like that happens, then we'll, we'll use it up. So eventually we will have to get to the point where we start going to these other planets and either hopefully we'll have at that point, you know, the technology to terraform, or if not, then we will, you know, at least be able to set up bases with which people can live on and, and go from there. But it's, I think it's a, it's the combination of the two that really is what, is what uh, will fuel the future in a certain sense. Cause one, one, you know, like if we go straight for doing the whole, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, like, making bases so to speak in in on these various planets we're still relying on earth to get the resources over there in order to make that work you know and if we're going out and we're you know just using these planets for resources then we are still relying on the space that the earth has in order for have most of the population live and neither one is fully um sustainable in the long run you know at least not with the way we again always in terms of our current technological understandings you know who knows maybe we can invent you know we'll figure out ways to to uh you know transmutate chemicals and and um other things and we'll be able to do stuff like that it won't matter but assuming we can't um then yeah that eventually we'll have to do both in some manner um it would be cool if they just got together like hey man let's just do both (laughs) Versus yeah. you know, arguing against each other or something like that. I think that's the stupid thing is like people get caught up in so caught up in only their ideas sometimes they f- neglect to think that, you know, it's never turns out to be one way or another in anything. You know, life is not black and white. It's always a little gray. And so it's silly that when people get caught, bogged down by believing, oh, this is the only way going to progress or this is the only way to progress it's like, yeah nine times out of ten it's probably gonna be a little column a, a little column b 100 percent. even if you think it's gonna be column a as time passes by you're gonna realize nah i think it's not gonna be i mean it's it's a process of evolution it's everything is always evolving your even your goals evolve eventually so i think what you're saying is absolutely right because you're gonna have to make you're gonna have to meet in the middle let's just say for these guys, at least two different philosophies for say space exploration and the motives behind space exploration in this case uh, for Jeff Bezos and for uh, Elon Musk, I think the ideal world would be, if you said, if you can terraform, it'd be colonize and terraform and, and, and use somebody for as a mine. For example, if we could terraform, why do we have to go? Um, look, I, I, I'm a novice when it comes to this. So I'm going to say stupid things. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. But if we could terraform, if we can create an artificial in, uh, atmosphere or, or an artificial environment, like a greenhouse, why do we have to go to Mars? Why can't we just do it on the moon? Yeah. Yeah. Create. Yeah. Right. Now, 
Now, people, I don't know. I, I think I think we are very keen on Mars right now because it has shown hints of um, of water, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So well, yeah, maybe they do have, they do, have um, they do show well one like the terrain itself show at least it seems to show um, water like passing like uh, having created a lot of the various ravines and and physical uh, aspects of the surface. And on the other hand is I think they have found frozen water on the planet in some fashion. Exactly. Itself. They found, like you said, dry rivers or frozen waters or like you said, ravines. I think there's evidence of uh, 3D mapping which says uh, underwater rivers and stuff. So the thing is, if uh, if we, we do have to go there, eventually, even if they have the water, let's say, you still have to create an, a simulate an artificial environment, earthly environment, right? You can't breathe the air there. There's no oxygen there. So regardless of the water, you're still not going to be able to breathe. So you're going to have to create one big massive dome like they do in, in all these uh, science fiction movies, right? So why are we going to Mars? Why don't we just create that on the moon? It's closer, right? Well, or I, mean, I, think, I think it would be a good idea to do it on the moon in terms of, I guess, practicing it. But I think yeah. in, in terms of like, I guess, long-term realistic, if you wanted, if your goal, long-term goal was to terraform, um, I don't think the moon is large enough to actually sustain that because it doesn't have the kind of um, gravitational pull and effect that like, you know, to keep, let's say an atmosphere in place, such as the earth does. Like the earth, part of the reason we can keep an atmosphere in place is because of like the sheer size of the earth, you know? Whereas the moon is not large enough, I think, to sustain that kind of an atmosphere uh, whereas Mars would be. Mars is even Mars larger than the Earth. Mars is further away from the sun than we are, right? It's the fourth planet, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, all going to be. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't remember, it's fourth I don't remember or the, it's the fourth or the fifth. Um, I think Venus is fifth, isn't it? Let's have a look. <laughs> but regardless, it's going to be either colder or hotter than the Earth, right? Yeah, it's the fourth planet from the sun. And it is yeah. colder than the Earth. It's gonna be colder. So we're not. And when we say colder, it's not gonna be like, oh, India's, uh, uh, it's thirty degrees and and New Jersey is minus two. But we can wear a fucking jacket and survive. No, no it's, it's gonna, more like negative two hundred kind of thing. Or something yeah, like that. you're gonna freeze your fucking piss off if you uh, go to mo- if you go to Mars. So again, you have to create another artificial ecosystem there for you to survive mm-hmm. now, i'm just i'm just spitballing here but now you said for the gravity right i understand gravitational force fair enough i appreciate that if one could i don't know if we can like we said we, we've not reached that uh state of uh technology where we can terraform right but let's say the geniuses of the world there's so many right now you got tesla working on getting us to the moon you got Jeff Bezos trying to mine other planets to sustenance of, of, of the human life. Let's say you get another guy who's bored with his time and says, I want to do something else. Uh, like uh, uh, one of the Google boys or the Oracle guy, what's his name? Larry, whatever. Yeah. And Ellison, right? Ellison. And you tell him, and he starts developing technology for terraforming, right? I, I have a feeling that one can simulate the gravitational force of the Earth 
inside the bubble that I presume they will be creating to create the atmospheric conditions of the earth for existence of you, of the human being. Don't you think? A gravitational force can be created. Like, okay, this is maybe not the best example, but I can explain something. We create, in an aircraft, we create the air that you breathe. All right, because if I'm flying at 35,000 feet, you can't breathe the air at 35,000 feet. But when you're in the aircraft, I pressurize the air, all right, so that you can breathe air. And in a commercial airliner, usually at, at the highest altitude the aircraft can fly, you're breathing air at 8,000 feet. Even though you're at 41,000 feet, you're breathing the air of 8,000 feet, right? I'm not going to use the same. I'm not going to explain. I'm not going to say that, oh, you can use the same principle there. But I'm trying to say is, if one can simulate that, maybe I think you can simulate gravitational force because you might be able to increase the the uh, the pressure of the atmosphere, right? So that's when when well, gets, I mean, so when air gets dense, uh, pressure increases and weight increases. I don't know. I'm not. Well, grab. I don't think gravity would work because I mean, I think that in terms of okay, can we create a create a dome? Um, uh, what's it called? Another dome? Like create an environment in which you know we have oxygen, we have heat, we have you know potentially even have wind and stuff like yeah. that. That is all feasible. Wind, yeah, sure. But in terms of having the same dome like that, like let's say take for example um, a stadium, right? Like a, that people would play like you know, um, football or soccer in uh, a domed stadium, right? Yeah. In effect, you're saying, like, could we, within that domed system, create more gravity in order to keep people at the same level as they currently are um, versus, uh, like, whatever the gravity is normally on that on said planet? Um, I don't think that we could just do it on, a, on that kind of a small scale um, in that setting. So because I think the gravitational forces that occur are partly to do with like the rotation of the earth. So it's like, how would you create yeah. artificial rotation in a dome that is on a planet without actually speeding up the planet itself? Yeah. Um, I don't think that's really possible. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a scientist and whatever, but I, I don't think that's possible to create yeah. gravity in that, in that sense. Now, there might be other ways to go about it in terms of you know, who knows, maybe to some effect, you know, using magnetics in some way yeah. and, and then also combining that with, with our clothing. But the magnetic um, work on, on Mars is based on the Earth's uh, magnetic uh, uh, field, right? So we'll have what? to... A magnet wouldn't work on another planet except the Earth. Well, a magnet that we have here, yeah. but again, magnetics... There'll be there'll be another sort of magnet there. You're right. Yeah, they'll just have to adopt that magnetic field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you all don't they create don't this uh, don't they create gravitation force on uh, on a on a on a space shuttle? Uh, once you again, that's that's got to do with rotation. Yeah, they rotate. So when they do that, they're rotating. They're rotating. You know the the um, it's basically it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a. I understand what you're saying. I know, yeah. that's what they do there. They did do that at the International Space Station too. There's always, like a pendulum, yeah. but not a pendulum, but it's a rotating force. I understand. 
there's a g-force the work is the word yeah. is a g-force which basically means a gravitational force but it is induced whether it can be done on such a large scale is uh, something one has to ask uh, yeah food for thought let's leave it to the the geniuses but maybe <laughs> maybe if they listen to this podcast they get ideas but i think uh, space travel is maybe not in our lifetime but definitely oh, going to be going to be a thing in the future i think it's have to be like, i think uh, it's going for the average person oh yeah yeah it's a, it'll become a thing mm-hmm. you think you think in our lifetime in your and my lifetime you'll see somebody go to another planet you know, for leisure I, travel no i don't but at the same time if you were to ask somebody from like you know the 30s who's still alive today like a 90 year old if they would think that you know you could send they would be able to one day look at a, a screen already something that wasn't around then and talk to their great great granddaughter um you know halfway around the world and have a conversation back and forth as if they were in the same room together they would have said no so who knows off at no yeah, at, no, at cost, cost. yeah. At no so, cost don't forget so, that so you know who knows like i mean <laughs> i i don't think so but i it would be pretty gnarly if that was the case yeah. I, i would do it. Nah, i think i think you're right i think we spoke about this last time too right it's like when i was in high school the the idea of being able to do what we're doing right now or like you said speak over a screen at no cost with somebody on the other side of the planet was like as as this like science fiction you know what i mean now it's just like it's it's taken for granted man the smartphone is just taken for granted you know you can do everything so i agree and i think uh there's so much potential that you never know dude like it just takes a couple of years for something to go from unbelievable to routine you know uh like this you know everybody's got a smartphone now man like like work doesn't even consider you don't have like if you don't have an email you're fucking you're neanderthal living in a cave mm-hmm. like how do you not have email you know what i mean so yeah you never know dude uh maybe it just become and i think i think elon musk has got a timeline which is is scarily short for his uh mars project he wants uh i think in the next five years i think he wants to send to get to mars or shoot or not uh, get to but, ship um, to mars start sending people to that yeah man uh let me just take it let me just check it out i because i remember him uh talking about the timeline and i was like that's ridiculous man so Uh, well, I mean, like I said, like the biggest hangup that we've had as far as getting to Mars hasn't been so much like the distance in terms of time. People, you know, like I said, it's gonna it'll take people a couple of years to get there based on our current levels. Um, but really, the only thing has been how do we get somebody to Mars, be able to land, be able to take off again and get them back, you know, without necessarily sending more. um resources in the meantime which again would require more things to be sent again to get that stuff back off and this rocket that he's invented and the system of travel provides them with a way of 
for the same for the limiting the cost of sending those people there. So I, I I could see as long as like like these next few. Oh yeah, so I was what I want to say too. Like um, so this first flight that's supposed to occur um with actual astronauts is supposed to happen as of now on the tomorrow at four thirty p.m. They're supposed to be going up. And I think and to dock with the Sorry space. Sorry to say that again. So tomorrow is the Make flight that, that SpaceX is, is launching, um, in which they're sending people two astro two NASA astronauts up to um, to uh, the space station, um, the International Space Station. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that's yes, happening yes, tomorrow. I did read about 4 yes. 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 So I mean, again, so this is only one more, um, I guess, uh, step along the way because, it, according to this information, it seems that their intention is to go up and hold on, can I not? Um, yeah, to go up. And I don't think they're gonna supposed to be landing back. I think they're supposed to be doing a like a, a splashdown, but. Um, but yeah, so that but again, it's it's one more okay. step along that route, and I think his real goal, like again, is to all of these tests, all of these demos, are to get to the point where they can go to Mars. Like his intention is not like going back to the moon in particular. It's just that's just maybe something we'll do just because it's the next closest spot, so to speak. But um, the real goal overall has yeah. always been Mars. So if these things work correctly, what's the difference between taking you know, a a uh, four day trip to the moon and a two year trip to uh, Mars. The only difference is the amount of food you have to take with you. You know, <laughs> really, and I guess the whole psychological aspect of it. But as far as the business, you know, from a from a not business, but from a technological technological standpoint, it's the same. Um, so. I mean, I could see him. I doubt it'll yeah. be five years because I mean, when SpaceX first happened, he was quoting it. At, you know, his time frame for that, everything happening within that was years past what it currently is now, or years prior to what it currently is now. But yeah. yeah, well, in 2016, I googled this. In 2016, Elon Musk stated that the first un unmanned um, MCT Mars flight was uh, planned for departure in 2022 to be followed for the first manned Mars flight departure mm. in 2024. Okay, let's say behind on this timeline. Fine. All right. 2024, dude, is four years from now. All right. Let's say he was originally behind this timeline by even two years. Okay. So his 2022 unmanned Mars mission Let's say that was by the new timeline supposed to be 24, okay? Let's give that one year of coronavirus, all right? That becomes 25. If in 25, which is five years from now, they send an unmanned uh, uh, journey to uh, Mars and two years, it's 27, they send a manned mission to Mars, bro. That's gonna mm -hmm. be fucking insane, Ricky. In seven years from now, man reaches Mars. That's ridiculous. I mean, you know, even the Indians have sent, you know, India India sent uh, a mission to Mars already, right? And it's already 
it's it's on its way, but it's already reached the moon. We did a moon mission, and it was the cheapest mission in the world. It was it cost less than rickshaw fare. Do you know that? Cost less than fucking no way rickshaw fare. Oh, per kilometer. Per kilometer. kilometer. Okay. Yeah, dude. You know how much it cost? Per kilometer. It cost thirty million dollars, I think. It it was and it was the first shot and got there. Then we did another one. The second mission just failed. Just failed. Right. It reached and when it was supposed to dock, you know, when it's hovering down to dock, mm. we kind of lo- we lost contact with it. Right. It's called Chandrayaan. It was one of the greatest successes in any. You know, India's space mission, India's space agency is incredible. It's it, there are four or five space powers in the world. India is one of them. Right. We got GSLVs mm. and PSLVs. It's incredible. Yeah, and uh, and we did it. Let me tell you how much it cost. Dude, three ninety seven crores. Once that's a dollar now seventy. Dude, it was like fifty million dollars, dude. Fifty million dollars. You know that? To the moon, dude. To the moon. Fifty million dollars. People buy yachts for more than that shit, dude. Come on. People buy homes for more than fifty million dollars. <laughs> it was a real success. space mission. Is something I'm I'm extremely proud of, dude. India Space Agency is full of geniuses. Only from south of India, almost almost exclusively from south of India. Just in just really really intelligent people. But yeah, man. If uh, uh, that happens, Mars happens. That would be a day, dude. I would. I, I mean, if that happens, that would be a day I'll remember for the rest of my life, for sure. I mean, I think that would be something I've never. Similar to like anybody who was alive. Yeah. Not anybody, but for the moon landing. You know what's funny about the moon for landing? The moon too? landing. There was a lot of people who actually didn't like, as for as big of a, a deal that we make about it nowadays, and for as big of a, a deal even it was at the time. There was a lot of people who did not watch it. I think, why was it? I think there was like some other TV show or something on that other people watched in lieu of the Mar- Mar- uh, the moon. No way. Yeah. No way. Are you saying they didn't watch it because there was another TV show no, on? No, no, they didn't, they, didn't watch, no they didn't watch it because there was something else on that people were more concerned with seeing. <laughs> dude i would not i would not be surprised in this world of instagram and freaking facebook and i'm not on twitter and snapchat and shit but i would not be i would not and maybe maybe keeping up with the kardashians was on or something <laughs> maybe like moon landing or whatever mars landing <laughs> and the kardashians is doing something stupid so yeah man but Let's see, man. Let's see what happens with this coronavirus. I don't know what is. What do you think is going to wipe us out? I was reading in a. I was reading an article today by this uh, uh, very famous doctor in China. They, she was one of the pioneers of understanding what happened, and I think they call her the bat doctor or something like that because she did something with bats and stuff, uh, and understanding what coronavirus is. And she said, "This is the tip of the iceberg, and if we don't get together as, as a planet or whatever, as a world." And you know, work together. Things are just gonna get much, much, much worse. India is going mad, dude. And uh, they started flying. Did I tell you that they started India? domestic flights, flights? Uh, yeah. yeah, in India. 
I just mean, like they're still, they're still fights in the U.S. Yeah, um, for sure. I think there's obviously there's so in, yeah. so. Here's the thing about the U.S. fights, though. For one, there's definitely less people going just because people don't want to go. Two, um, there's a lot less travel yeah. in general because um, so much of like U.S. flights. I mean, yes, there's always leisure travel, but a lot of it is always business travel, and most businesses are not doing it right now because Mostly of business. what's going on. So the amount of travel is down considerably. Big time, dude. They started it, but they're not geared up for it because, look, most places in the world are opening up. When they do open up, it's because they've got a little bit of the curve under control. It's flattening a little bit. Here's the opposite. Every day I leave the news, it said record number of cases today. Record number of cases today. In, in Mumbai, had, Mumbai is the worst hit, of course. It's so densely populated. And they opened it. And they opened it and giving like two days. Or was it? It was a five-day notice, I think. But the state governments refused. They said, we're not. The central government said we're, we're opening it. And the state government was like, no, we can't. We're not get up for it. So my airline started again. <laughs> but oh, wow. there are no flights, you know. Uh I think they're just given into industry pressure. This is basically given into industry pressure because like if people ask you for a timeline as to when I mean, you're an industry man, you gotta run, right? So you ask timeline as to how long it'll take you to start again, they'll be like, I don't know. Government's gonna be like, fuck, we don't know, man. We can't give you a timeline because it's not getting better, dude. It's just getting worse. I have a feeling they might stop again in a month. Because yeah, it's just not getting here, better. Man. People are who knows? Part of it is that people are revolting, I think. And- you know, it's getting more even cares. Yeah, that's it. They're People tired, are just yeah, tired of it. So it's slowly starting to open up here. I mean, it's probably going to, I think it's probably going to, we're going to develop herd immunity or something. And I think that's, if they're, I mean, shit, man, I don't know. The thing is, you know, one thing is shutting businesses. Yeah, it's just the food line, dude. The, once the, somebody, the chain I don't of, remember who this yeah. was, but they, oh yeah, John, John, not John Stewart, um, Bill, Bill, not Bill O'Reilly, I don't remember his name, he's a, he's a guy who gets a show on um, HBO, and he's a comedian, probably still does stand up, no, not Rogan, Is it Joe Rogan? Um, but he, he made this analogy that I thought was very, very apt, and, and true, and he's like, you know, with the shutting down of um, of of uh, all businesses and stuff like that, it made sense. Um, but at the same time, oh no, this was a, this was a completely different person. Actually, I'm thinking of two different things. But uh, but still, the, the idea <clears throat> it made sense initially because, like, you know, when you've got a problem, you've got to like you know contain it and fix it or whatever. But essentially, what we're doing to the world at large and you know each country on a smaller level. Is like let's say like the human race essentially has a is having a stroke, you know. So we've we've stopped the lifeblood yeah. of <laughs> of the economy and of people, which is work, you know, the ability to make money and yeah. produce things and then sell those things and have you know have things for other people to buy and to keep things rolling, so to speak. So we've essentially had a stroke, and you know if you know anything about a stroke, mm-hmm. the longer you have in which like between starting the stroke and getting stuff going again, the more likely really important parts of your body are to die off to the point where they can't be, you know, can't be fixed or can't come back to where they were or even close to where they were. 
Um, and so really what's happening is like we're having, you know, as a, as a humanity on a large scale, like I said, also on the country level, we're having this stroke and things are dying off. And the longer we don't, the longer we have in which we are taking the viewpoint of, um, you know, everybody should be staying inside <clears throat> in order to fix or get rid of this problem, the longer we are in which the body as a whole will have, the, the higher the chances are the body as a whole will have to die. Because think about it like this, if you're having a stroke or you're having some problem and right now it's like, you know, your, your left hand, your pinky finger in your left hand can't move, right? And so we, you know, you, you do all these things in order to try to get it to move. You stop doing this, stop doing that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if you're not taking care of the body as a whole, you, instead of just the pinky finger dying, you're going to lose the whole arm or you're going to lose, the, you know, the left side of your, your right side of your brain, that kind of thing. So it's like, at what point does saving the cost of saving the pinky finger exceed the benefit? And in that same instant, in the same, you know, kind of reasoning, at what point does the cost of, you know, saving, because again, when you look at, when you look at the actual numbers of the people who, not to say of who is getting the coronavirus, but the people who are actually dying of the coronavirus, the vast majority of the people who are dying of the coronavirus fall into a few different categories. Over, I think it's like over 70, 60 or 70% of the people who are getting it are over the age of 64. Of the people who are over the age of 64, uh, and even the people who are over the age of 64, all of them have some kind of pre-existing condition in which, you know, takes away from their immune system or affects um, affects their lungs. So if you take out all the people over the age of 64 or under the age of 64, I'm sorry, who get it, like all of them of the percentage who get it are that are under the age of 64 who get it less than 1% of those people have no pre-existing conditions um, in which like uh, medical conditions. So like for the vast majority of people, we fall into that category. So it's essentially like we're trying to save, you know, let's say 2% of the population and by trying to save 2% of the population, we're putting at risk the other 98% of the population to die. So at what point does trying to save that 2%, do we decide like, okay, not that these people should be like, you know, put by the wayside or ignored or like just left to die, but shouldn't a better theory, because initially, you know, we had to react quickly. We had to just do whatever, like, you know, the first thing that came to mind and I was shutting things down. Wouldn't it be more intelligent to, instead of, you know, uh, stopping everybody from working is to find the population that is at most at risk, i.e. people of the age of 64 and people who have whatever certain pre-existing conditions that are that put them at risk, i.e. like let's say like whether it be diabetes or um, heart issues or lung issues or you know cardiovascular issues, I'm not cardiovascular um, yeah, 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 cardiovascular issues and have those people in particular like staying at home and given certain precautions and not like going out versus having the entire population not do so. Because when we have the entire population not do so, we are going to die in terms of like overall, like economically speaking. And when you look at economics, not to say economics is the end all be all, but like when you look at the lifeblood of a country or of a society, it's how much can you produce and how much can you send, sell and how, how, how many times can you flip that, so to speak, in order, in order for people to continue growing. Um, and right now we're not doing that, you know? So at what point do we decide, okay, well, let's, let's flip the script. 
let's not have it where nobody can go outside and interact and have to wear masks and all this stuff. Let's have it where if you fall under a category A, B, or C, then you should take said precautions. And, you know, the government will help you. Because also think about that. Like, you know, and I don't know how in what, what, what India is doing in regards to like uh, helping, assisting people currently without being able to work. But in the U.S., you know, we have a lot of, we got a, we got our, our stimulus checks a few weeks back. They're, you know, they're, they're changing up how they do certain things in regards to um, paying certain bills. Like a lot of creditors are allowing you to like push stuff back and things like that. So we're trying to adjust in order to help the society at large. But what is the cost? There's a huge cost associated with that. Now, if we took, again, if we took that percentage, instead of it being 100% of the people we're giving this to, we only give it to the 2% who actually really, really can't or are unsafe if they get out and do it. Wouldn't it be a lot more cost effective in terms of one, you know, not having to provide for everybody, but two, also then keeping everything else going and not potentially like having, you know, us having a certain parts of the body, you know, dying off. Um, so, I mean, long run, I think that's the best way to go about it. But right now people are, are not really thinking I completely straight um, and a little scared and just sticking with the, what you know what has been working versus my what might work better in the future because by all accounts by all accounts yeah, I think I mean, you're right, we don't have a vaccine for it and even if we do get a vaccine for it who's to say it doesn't mutate again who's to say there's not another problem like this a year from now with something different coming up with a, we can't do this every year yeah. you know with the yeah. same process we'd have to have a better way of going about it and there has to be a better way and i think that you know somehow approaching it from that direction is the better option so but again people tend to do tend to fall into the category of you know rather than going along with what may be new and better and works they go with well this is what i have been doing or this is what was working so let's just keep on doing it like how it just doesn't make sense long run but you know for now that's where we're at i just hope that somebody who is knowledgeable not knowledgeable in charge starts recognizing that kind of thing and move, shifting things towards that goal versus just keeping on as we're keeping you know i don't agree with the especially in america you know, we, we we are a country where our citizenry believes that we have the right to protest and we have the right to do whatever we, we kind of want and we'll fight for that and i applaud that in certain instances and i think it also kind of makes us a little bit conceited and stupid in other instances but Overall, you know, there's, you know, there's a huge, not a huge, but a good proportion of the population who's going out and, and not taking the current precautions that, as they're being prescribed by the government, um, you know, going without face masks out in public and stuff like that, or, you know, getting together in large groups of people because they just think they want, they want to. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, like I said, uh, I don't necessarily agree with the mentality of, oh, I just want to do this, so I'm going to do it. But I also don't agree with the mentality of, well, you know, quarantine has been working, so we should continue. Sure, it has been working, but it's not going to work forever. It's like the same idea as if, if you're in a pool and, you know, you're, you've got a, you know, a, a friend or a sibling who pushes your head underwater, you can hold your breath and not struggle and that'll work for a certain period of time, but it's not going to work forever. Eventually, you're going to have to come up for breath uh, or you're going to die. So what do you do? You know what I mean? So there has to be some other way of going about it. No, I think you're making a, a, a very, very, uh, a very valid point. 
is it has anybody ever thought of this theory about uh you know uh, just keeping those who are uh, most uh, uh susceptible to the virus or rather susceptible to uh, fatality because of the virus i don't i mean uh, i, I... Restricted, restricted movement outside the home or just keeping them uh you know uh, i can't imagine I'm isolated the first, from the virus i can't imagine and i and the other person is the first, pe- first people to really think about it because i think this is an extremely But, intelligent thing you're talking about and i i don't i tend not to watch the news about coronavirus because it's all negative but i don't think i've ever heard of this this sort of a uh, an approach towards opening up the economy because everything you said makes absolute 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 sense to me 100% right because it is uh, the fatality is only for those who are above 65 you're right this the- is universal so those who are most susceptible to it should be most uh, isolated in pres- when i say isolated i'm not saying put them in a room and lock them up i mean they should be most protected from it but the rest of us can continue uh because like you said you you're going to i mean you're going to cut off cut off that part of the body like you said you're going to there'll be no oxygen reaching there and you're going to suffocate the economy and the world eventually um how long can you do it have you i heard about a new theory they thought they spoke about intermittent um intermittent lockdowns do you know that two months of two months of uh open spaces two months of no lockdown followed by one month of lockdown and until you get a until mm, you get no, the vaccine I hadn't heard of that. did you hear of this they they say okay two months go about do your stuff and then one month of lockdown i don't know if that makes sense too because it's going to yeah. paralyze the economy anyways maybe it'll just it'll be have less of an effect on the economy than what it is happening what is happening now but it'll still i mean you can't run a business like oh i got business yeah, on two months and then i'm going to be shut for another month that seems like it's not feasible well it's not long term in a sense the definition of long term here is going to be different because they're saying this will be till the time we get a vaccination but then again like you said who knows oh, yeah. what happens after it's, 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 maybe there's not a mutation and what about pandemic yeah. you know yeah Yeah, no, that's such a such a, that's a very short-sighted approach because I mean, again, that's specific to this particular yeah. pandemic. Like, there should be an approach that works for the pandemics in general. And like, so I think it comes down to the fact that like people, like again, if we can create it, if there's a if there's a vaccine that could be created and doesn't mutate, and that's cool, that works for this particular one. But again, if something else happens, then we're screwed again. Um, but on the other hand, I think a big reason that like people haven't either really thought about or pushed for what I was describing is because the fear and the misinformation that's out there. There's so much misinformation about like the n- total numbers, who's at risk, what the issues are. Um, and they're just pushing and not just, okay. So it, I think a big part of the problem with it is like a lot of the information is coming from doctors who are working in the hospitals and like, Oh, this is, it's, you know, it's this horrible or this is what's going on. This is that. And it's, and it's you know that's good to like have that information available but is it realistic to think that like okay the doctor so so for example if you want to if you were if you're talking about like let's totally weird example but like if you talk to a to a um uh, what's it called let's say you're talking to a uh, a person who what is it um like back in the 1400s i mean i guess they still do it now or whatever but like people who like if your job was like to be the um 
the guy who kills people um, whenever you know they, they go to jail. What's that word? Um, yeah, the executor. Thank you. Executor. Like if that's your job, right? And somebody's like, oh, so uh, yeah. how how's work? It's like, oh, you yeah. know, you know, works good, I guess. There's a lot of people dying. You know, every day somebody dies. Like that's their only point of view. Is like every day somebody's dying. But if you talk to the doctor yeah. who like it works in the oncology unit is you know having bringing babies in the world like oh how's it work oh it works great like every day people are being born so it's completely different points of view but they're both kind of true yeah. and the same fact it's like sure you know people are constantly coming in with these issues and and every day there's going to be a new case but at the same time uh, by and large most people aren't having issues with it or if they are it's for a week or two it's like the flu and then they're back on their feet and it's not a problem. And so, but because the biggest, the people who are getting the most, I guess, you know, the people who are the loudest are getting the most attention um, are the ones who are pushing the fact that like, oh, it's, you know, it's not over and this is the problem and it, you know, we've got this many cases and so on and so forth. And that's all true. But at the same time, in reality, like, what does that, like, is that, just because that's happening doesn't mean that these other issues are not also um, that there's not another way of going about it without necessarily shutting everything down. And so just because some people are getting it, just because there's still cases doesn't mean that we still can't open things up and have most people still progress and be fine. You know, if, if they were just being told like, yeah, you might get it and you might die, but most of the time, just like, it's the same thing as with the regular flu. It's like you might get it and you might die from it, but the likelihood of you dying from it is very, very small. Now, again, this is not to say it's the same thing as the regular flu because people don't die in these numbers when it comes to regular flu. But if you were to change that point of view from everybody's going to get it and everybody's going to die to like, if you fit in XYZ criteria, you might get it and you might die. If not, then you're totally good. It's like anything else. It's like if you go into the doctor and you get prescribed a certain medicine, it's like, okay, if you have this problem, then you shouldn't take this particular medicine and because you might die. But if you don't have this problem, then this medicine is good for you. What's the difference? Why are we so concerned with everybody being on the same page versus some people using it and some people not? You know? But let's see, man. Let's see what happens with this coronavirus. I don't know. What is? What do you think is going to wipe us out? I was, reading in a, I was reading an article today by this... Uh, a very famous doctor in China. They, she was one of the pioneers of understanding what happened. And I think they call her the bat doctor or something like that because she did something with bats and stuff uh, and understanding what coronavirus is. And she said, this is the tip of the iceberg. And if we don't get together as as a planet or whatever, as a world, and you know, work together, things are just going to get much, much, much worse. India is going mad, dude. And... Uh, they started flying. Did I tell you that? Oh, they started India? domestic flights. Flights. Uh, yeah. yeah, in India. Are I they mean, flying? There's, still, the there's still flights in the U.S., yeah, um, for sure. I think there's obviously – so in, yeah. So here's the thing about the U.S. flights, though. For one, there's definitely less people going just because people don't want to go. Two, um, there's a lot less travel yeah. in general because um, so much of, like, U.S. flights – I mean, yes, there's always leisure travel. But a lot of it was always business travel, and most businesses are not doing it right now because Mostly of business. everything's going on. So the amount of travel is down considerably. 
big time dude they started it but they're not geared up for it cuz look most places in the world are opening up when they do open up is because they've got a little bit of the curve under control it's flattening a little bit here is the opposite every day i read the news it said record number of cases today record number of cases today in in mumbai had mumbai is the worst it of course it's so densely populated and they opened it and they opened it giving like two days or was it i was a five day notice i think but the state governments refused they said we're not the central government said we're, we're opening it and the state government was like no we can't we're not get up for it so my airline started again <laughs> but oh, wow. there are no flights you know uh i think they're just given into industry pressure this is basically given into industry pressure because like if people ask you for a timeline as to when I mean, you're in an industry man you got to run right so you ask timeline as to how long it'll take you to start again they'll be like i don't know government's going to be like fuck we don't know man we can't give you a timeline cuz it's not getting better dude it's just getting worse i have a feeling they might stop again in a month because yeah, it's just not getting here, better man. people are who knows part of it is that people are revolting i think and- No, it's getting taking cares yeah that's it they're People tired of it yeah tired of so it. it's slowly starting to open up here and there's it's probably going to i think it's probably going to we're going to develop herd immunity or something and i think that's if there i mean shit man i don't know the thing is you know one thing is shutting businesses yeah, it's just you, the food line dude once the somebody the chain i don't remember who this yeah. was but they oh yeah john the john not john stewart um bill bill not bill riley yeah, i don't remember his name he's a, he's a guy who gets a show on um, hbo and he's the comedian probably still does stand up no not rogan is it joe rogan um, but he he made this analogy that i thought was very very apt and and true and he's like you know with the shutting down of um of of uh all businesses and stuff like that it made sense um but at the same time oh no this was a, this was a completely different person actually i'm thinking of two different things but uh but still the, the idea <clears throat> it made sense initially because like you know when you've got a problem you've got to like you know contain it and fix it or whatever but essentially what we're doing to the world at large and you know each country on a smaller level is like let's say like the human race essentially has a is having a stroke you know so we've we've stopped the lifeblood yeah. of <laughs> of the economy and of people which is work you know the ability to make money and yeah. produce things and then sell those things and have you know have things for other people to buy and to keep things rolling so to speak so we've essentially had a stroke and you know if you know anything about a stroke the longer you have in which like between starting the stroke and getting stuff going in the more likely really important parts of your body are to die off to the point where they can't be you know can't be fixed or can't come back to where they were or even close to where they were um and so really what's happening is like we're having you know as a, as a humanity on a large scale and also on the country level we're having this stroke and things are dying off and the longer we don't the longer we have in which we are taking the viewpoint of um you know everybody should be staying inside <clears throat> in order to fix or get rid of this problem the longer we are in which the body as a whole will have the the higher the chances are the body as a whole will have to die because think about it like this if you're having a stroke or you're having some problem and right now it's like you know your your left hand your pinky finger and your left hand can't move 
right? And so we, you know, you, you do all these things in order to try to get it to move. You stop doing this, stop doing that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if you're not taking care of the body as a whole, you, instead of just the pinky finger dying, you're going to lose the whole arm or you're going to lose, the, you know, the left side of your, your right side of your brain, that kind of thing. So it's like, at what point does saving the cost of saving the pinky finger exceed the benefit? And in that same instant, in the same, you know, kind of reasoning, at what point does the cost of, you know, saving, because again, when you look at, when you look at the actual numbers of the people who, not to say of who is getting the coronavirus, but the people who are actually dying of the coronavirus, the vast majority of the people who are dying of the coronavirus fall into a few different categories. Over, I think it's like over 70, 60 or 70% of the people who are getting it are over the age of 64. Of the people who are not over the age of 64, uh, and even the people who are over the age of 64, all of them have some kind of pre-existing condition in which, you know, takes away from their immune system or is affects their um, affects their lungs. So if you take out all the people over the age of 64 or under the age of 64, I'm sorry, who get it, like all of them of the percentage who get it are that are under the age of 64, who get it less than 1% of those people have no pre-existing conditions um, in which like uh, medical conditions. So like for the vast majority of people, we fall into that category. So it's essentially like we're trying to save you know, let's say 2% of the population. And by trying to save 2% of the population, we're putting at risk the other 98% of the population to die. So at what point does trying to save that 2%, do we decide like, okay, not that these people should be like, you know, put by the wayside or ignored or like just left to die, but shouldn't a better theory, because initially, you know, we had to react quickly. We had to just do whatever, like, you know, the first thing that came to mind, and I was shutting things down wouldn't it be more intelligent to instead of you know uh, stopping everybody from working is to find the population that is at most at risk i.e people of the age of 64 and people who have whatever certain pre-existing conditions that are that put them at risk i.e like let's say like whether it be diabetes or um, heart issues or lung issues or you know cardiovascular issues. i'm not cardiovascular um, yeah, yeah yeah cardiovascular issues and have those people in particular like staying at home and given certain precautions and not like going out versus having the entire population not do so. Because when we have the entire population not do so, we are going to die in terms of like overall, like economically speaking. And when you look at economics, not to say economics is the end all be all, but like when you look at the lifeblood of a country or of a society, it's how much can you produce and how much can you send, sell and how, how, how many times can you flip that, so to speak, in order, to produ- in order for people to continue growing. Um, and right now we're not doing that, you know? So at what point do we decide, okay, we, let's, let's flip the script. Let's not have it where nobody can go outside and interact and have to wear masks and all this stuff. Let's have it where if you fall under a category A, B, or C, then you should take said precautions and, you know, the government will help you. Because also think about that. Like, you know, and I don't know how in what, what, what India is doing in regards to like uh, helping, assisting people currently without being able to work. But in the U.S., you know, we have a lot of, we got, a, we got our, our stimulus checks a few weeks back. They're, you know, they're, they're changing up how they do certain things in regards to um, paying certain bills. Like a lot of creditors are allowing you to like push stuff back and things like that. So we're trying to adjust in order to help society at large. But what is the cost? There's a huge cost associated with that. 
now if we took again if we took that percentage instead of it being 100 percent of the people we're giving this to we only give it to the two percent who actually really really can't or are unsafe if they get out and do it wouldn't it be a lot more cost effective in terms of one you know not having to provide for everybody but two also then keeping everything else going and not potentially like having you know us having a certain parts of the body you know dying off um so i mean long run i think that's the best way to go about it but right now people are are not really thinking i completely straight um and a little scared and just sticking with the what you know what has been working versus my what might work better in the future because by all accounts by all accounts yeah, I think I you're mean, right, we don't have a vaccine for it and even if we do get a vaccine for it Who's to say it doesn't mutate again? Who's to say there's not another problem like this a year from now with something different? Coming up with a, we can't do this every year, yeah. you know, with the yeah. same process. We'd have to have a better way of going about it, and there has to be a better way. And I think that you know somehow approaching it from that direction is the better option. So, but again, people tend to do tend to fall into the category of you know rather than going along with what maybe new and better and works they go with well this is what i have been doing or this is what was working so let's just keep on doing it like how it just doesn't make sense long run but you know for now that's where we're at i just hope that somebody who is knowledgeable not knowledgeable in charge starts recognizing that kind of thing and move shifting things towards that goal versus just keeping on as we're keeping you know i don't agree with the especially in america you know we we, we are a country where our citizenry believes that we have the right to protest and we have the right to do whatever we kind of want and we'll fight for that. And I applaud that in certain instances. And I think it also kind of makes us a little bit conceited and stupid in other instances, but overall, you know, there's, you know, there's a huge, not a huge, but a good proportion of the population who's going out and, and not taking the current precautions that as they're being prescribed by the government, um, you know, going without face masks out in public and stuff like that, or, you know, getting together in large groups of people because they just think they want they want to. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, like I said, uh, I don't necessarily agree with the mentality of, oh, I just want to do this, so I'm going to do it. But I also don't agree with the mentality of, well, you know, quarantine has been working, so we should continue. Sure, it has been working, but it's not going to work forever. It's like the same idea as if, if you're in a pool and, you know, you're, you've got a, you know, a, a friend or a sibling who pushes your head underwater, you can hold your breath and not struggle and that'll work for a certain period of time, but it's not going to work forever. Eventually you're going to have to come up for breath uh, or you're going to die. So what do you do? You know what I mean? So there has to be some other way of going about There has to be a better way. No, I think you're making a, a very, very, uh, a very valid point. Uh, is it, has anybody ever thought of this theory about, uh, you know, uh, just keeping those who are uh, most uh, uh, susceptible to the virus or rather susceptible to uh, fatality because of the virus. I don't, I mean, uh, I, I... Restricted, restricted movement outside the home or just keeping them, uh, you know, uh, I can't imagine I'm isolated the first, from the virus. I can't imagine that the rest other person is the first people to really think about it. And I think this is an extremely but, intelligent thing you're talking about. And I, I don't. I tend not to watch the news about coronavirus because it's all negative. But I don't think I've ever heard of this this sort of a 
an approach towards opening up the economy because everything you said makes absolute 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 sense to me 100% right because it is uh, the fatality is only for those who are above 65 you're right this the- is universal so those who are most susceptible to it should be most uh, isolated in pres- when i say isolated i'm not saying put them in a room and lock them up i mean they should be most protected from it but the rest of us can continue uh because like you said you you're going to i mean you're going to cut off cut off that part of the body like you said you're going to there'll be no oxygen reaching there and you're going to suffocate the economy and the world eventually um how long can you do it have you i heard about a new theory they thought they spoke about intermittent um intermittent lockdowns do you know that two months of two months of uh, open spaces two months of no lockdown followed by one month of lockdown and until you get a until mm, you get no, the vaccine I heard of that. did you hear of this they they say okay two months go about do your stuff and then one month of lockdown i don't know if that makes sense too because it's going to yeah. paralyze the economy anyways maybe it'll just it'll be have less of an effect on the economy than what it is happening what is happening now but it'll still i mean you can't run a business like oh i got business yeah, on two months and then i'm going to be shut for another month that it's not feasible well it's not long term in a sense the definition of long term here is going to be different because they're saying this will be till the time we get a vaccination but then again like you said who knows oh, yeah. what happens after it's the vaccination. Says, a, maybe there's not a mutation and what a pandemic yeah. you know yeah yeah oh, that's such a, such a that's a very short sighted approach because i mean again that's specific to this particular yeah. pandemic like there should be an approach that works for the pandemics in general and like so i think it comes down to the fact that like people like again if we can create it, if there's a if there's a vaccine that could be created and doesn't mutate and that's cool that works for this particular one but again if something else happens then we're screwed again um but on the other hand i think a big reason that like people haven't either really thought about or pushed for what i was describing is because the fear and the misinformation that's out there there's so much misinformation about like the n- total numbers, who's at risk, what the issues are. Um, and they're just pushing and I, not just, okay. So it, I think a big part of the problem with it is like a lot of the information is coming from doctors who are working in the hospitals and like, Oh, this is, it's, you know, it's this horrible or this is what's going on. This is that. And it's, and it's, you know, that's good to like have that information available, but is it realistic to think that like, okay, the doctor, so, so for example, if you want to, if you were, if you're talking about, like, let's totally weird example, but like, if you talk to a, to a, um, uh, what's it called? Let's say you're talking to a, uh, a person who, what is it? Um, like back in the 1400s, I mean, I guess they still do it now or whatever, but like people who like, if your job was like to be the, um, uh, the guy who kills people um, whenever, you know, they, what's that word um yeah the executor thank you like if that's your job right and somebody's like oh so uh, yeah. how, how's work it's like oh you know, you know works good i guess there's a lot of people dying you know every day somebody dies like that's their only point of view is like every day somebody's dying but if you talk to the doctor yeah. who like it works in the oncology unit is you know having bringing babies in the world like oh how's work oh it works great like every day people are being born so it's completely different points of view, but they're both kind of true. Yeah. And the same fact, it's like, sure, you know, people are constantly coming in with these issues and, and every day there's going to be a new case. But at the same time, 
uh, by and large, most people aren't having issues with it. Or if they are, it's for a week or two, it's like the flu and then they're back on their feet and it's not a problem. And so, but because the biggest, the people who are getting the most, I guess, you know, the people who are the loudest are getting the most attention um, are the ones who are pushing the fact that like, oh, it's, you know, it's not over and this is the problem and it, you know, we've got this many cases and so on and so forth. And that's all true. But at the same time, in reality, like, what does that, like, is that just because that's happening doesn't mean that these other issues are not also, um, that there's not another way of going about it without necessarily shutting everything down. And so just because some people are getting it, just because there's still cases, doesn't mean that we still can't open things up and have most people still progress and be fine. You know, if if they were just being told like, yeah, you might get it and you might die, but most of the time, just like, it's the same thing as with the regular flu. It's like, you might get it and you might die from it, but the likelihood of you dying from it is very, very small. Now, again, this is not to say it's the same thing as regular flu because people don't die in these numbers when it comes to regular flu. But if you were to change that point of view from everybody's going to get it and everybody's going to die to like, if you fit in X, Y, Z criteria, you might get it and you might die. If not, then you're totally good. It's like anything else. It's like if you go into the doctor and you get prescribed a certain medicine, it's like, okay, if you have this problem, then you shouldn't take this particular medicine and because you might die. But if you don't have this problem, then this medicine is good for you. What's the difference? Why are we so concerned with everybody being on the same page versus some people using it and some people not? You know, 